Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with We Go grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at We Go since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, we talk to Alyssa Dorado, class of 2015, board-certified music therapist. Alyssa will share with us how her passion for music in high school found a new purpose after a random conversation sparked a curiosity to investigate a career in music therapy, and how now she blends music and psychology to suit the unique needs of her patients. Joining us today from the class of 2015 is Alyssa Dorado. What do you do, Alyssa? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am a board-certified music therapist. Um, in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I work primarily with people with developmental and intellectual disabilities um, through music as a music therapist. So, Alyssa, when you left WeGo, where you went to, you went to Ohio University. How did you choose that school? So, music therapy. There are when I was in high school, if I remember correctly, the number was seventy-two universities I can pick from which sounds like a lot of options, but for most programs, you have hundreds to choose from. If I wanted to go into finance, I could have picked almost any university in the country and I could have gone. Um, So from there, once I said, I didn't really want to go, my magical thing was I didn't want to go any further west than Iowa. I wanted to stay either in the Midwest or I had family up in New Jersey, Pennsylvania. So once I picked that out, I was kind of limited down to like 20 schools. And I knew I wanted a school that I could, I wasn't, how do I say this? It was a big enough school that I felt like I was getting a full university experience. I was able to be on this big campus, interact with a bunch of different types of people, but also still have that small, intimate university feel. And with Ohio University, I really got that because OU was around 17,000 undergrad students, a lot of students. But once you get into the School of Music, it was a much more intimate setting where I got a lot more personalized um, education, got to know my professors, be able to have this individualized study while still being at this really large university and using the university resources to my advantage. And When I looked at all the different schools I was applying to, going to OU, it was, I just felt comfortable. I felt welcomed. My first day walking on campus, I, the person who was in charge of the College of Fine Arts went up there and she wasn't afraid to like be a goofball with us, even though we were incoming students. And it made it just such a welcoming feeling. Plus the music therapy program there is so strong and has so many different, like so much background and is one of the oldest in the country that I knew that I was going to be challenged 
while also not feeling like I was going to fall behind while at OU. Finding that perfect balance, I guess, was what OU was to me. It, it, you, you just had a perfect commercial for Ohio University. That, that was like the most glowing endorsement I think I've ever heard uh, for uh, for a school that it's just you know, the, the shoe fit perfectly. You know, yeah. that was just uh, amazing. So but prior to that, it sounds like you kind of knew that you wanted to be in musical therapy before you even went off to university. What what was it about that particular field that was, that that you were drawn to? So. When I got into high school, I was in the music program throughout middle school, went to high school and said, I'm going to join choir. I love singing. I loved being a part of it throughout my life. And I'm going to continue being in choir. And I hit choir and was like, cool, I want to be a music teacher. <laughs> like that was my gun ho like reaction. I hit high school and loved the atmosphere of the choir room, um, being in that ensemble and the community that that built me. Through that it was the discussion of, okay, music education, what does that look like? What does this look like? And my dad ran into, I guess it was one of his clients at work and they were talking and he's like, yeah, my daughter's looking into being a music major. Um, she's currently like a junior in high school, sophomore in high school. I want to think it was. Um, and she's just looking at her options and he went, oh yeah, my daughter's currently studying music therapy at one of a school in Illinois. And my dad came home and just mentioned it to me and was like, oh, I heard about this thing, music therapy. It sounds like something you would really like, Alyssa. I went to AMTA's website, our national organization. And from there, I was hooked. Like, I was done. That's what I was majoring in. It gave me the opportunity to use music, what I love, and something that gave me so much community, while also doing my second passion of helping people and uplifting people and creating personal relationships while using music. And so, yeah, around June, end of sophomore year, junior year of high school, I learned what music therapy was, um, came, uh, was able to observe music therapists over the summer. And that was kind of my, I was done. That's what I wanted to do. There was no, there was no stopping me from there. That is so cool that you, yeah, you just kind of locked in right away and it just, yeah. and you did your research to kind of see uh, what programs were available and, and how that was just, again, another perfect fit for you. Okay. So at Ohio University, mm -hmm. you, you were taking music classes, but then where, when, what were some of the early coursework like for musical therapy within the music program? So early on, in the music therapy program is very much your core music classes. I was taking music theory. Um, I was taking sight singing and dictation, piano, vocal lessons. Um, I was doing something that we call performance lab, which is being able to see a variety of different performances, not just your major instrument. I was part of an ensemble for all four years of um, college as well as then starting to step into this clinical work of intro to music therapy, getting an understanding of all the different populations that we can support, being able to get a practicum once you hit sophomore year where I started observing and then leading um, what could have then been music therapy sessions once I was a board certified music therapist. Um, and so a lot of it is that core music foundation that you know the background of the music you are playing to then be able to use that in your sessions most effectively. To become 
a musical therapist do is it do you also is it also incumbent that you become board certified as well or is that something that was kind of tacked on after you got your degree so to call yourself a music therapist you have to have the board certification so i have Alyssa dorado mtbc for that is you have to attend a university that is accredited. So that's where the 70-some schools came in. And then attend four years of coursework. So that's four years of taking psychology, taking a biology class, taking world music, your the basic fundamentals of music, music history, clinical pra- like practicum classes, things like that. And then a six-month internship. Um, which is actually where now I currently work is where I did my internship. Um, There are different internships throughout the country from hospital setting to hospice, um, different pediatrics to where like I'm in a private practice now, Um, such a wide variety. But then you're doing six to nine months of basically just being a one step away from music therapy to then sit for your board's um, after you finish that internship. So just when you were describing that, that just sounds like a, a, such a unique interdisciplinary uh, work, you know, where you were psychology and then the biology and then the music, all of those things coming together. That must have been really fun to kind of see how all those things, you know, no pun intended, work in concert together to kind of get to where you wanted to, to, to you know, be better at uh, your particular field. I think that's just so mm-hmm. neat. So I, I got to ask, what was the sitting for the board certification assessment, what what was that like? And how did you prepare for it? Uh, was it easy? And what was the actual um, implementation of the assessment like for you? So I was fortunate in the fact that I had so much support through my internship to prep me for the exam. I took three, two or three practice exams. There were shortened versions. There was, there was all of this. But all of musical aspects, basically passing internship, you're showing that you have all the musical foundational things to be able to be a music therapist. And then sitting for the boards is a lot of the HIPAA. What it, what can you actually say and not say? A lot of the theories, the different types of music therapy theories, and what can you call yourself? Like I, if you can say you're doing neurological music therapy, if you don't have the certification, a lot of situational things and how would you handle it? Um, It's a lot of work. They try to hit a lot of the different terminology, both music, psychology, um, like the anatomy aspects of it, while also knowing that you know what is expected of you as you are a healthcare professional of the professionalism of that. So it's a lot. Um, I took it and (laughs) took it my best shot and did pass on my first try, but It's a lot of work to be able to know what you're doing and to not second guess yourself on the exam either. Because I think that's the biggest hurdle a lot of people do. They know what they're supposed to do. They believe in themselves and they get to the exam and two responses are really similar to each other. (laughs) And you're trying to figure out what they're trying to get you to answer because music has so many components 
you want to go into so many different situations when there's just facts on the sheet in front of you and looking at those facts, what are they trying to get you to answer? Don't put any more information into it, which I think a lot of us like to do. Well, I mean, so how long were you notified after you finished um, sitting for the exam? I found I found out day of. Oh, wow. I walked out um, because it's all computer based. I was able to find out on the day. I had two and a half weeks to (laughs) turn around before I started at my current position. Um, And so I walked out and it luckily was pulled up on the computer. Um, But I know there's a lot of certifications where you're sitting for months waiting. High schoolers can understand that one just with AP exams. Oh, for sure. So, but I was fortunate I got that one really quickly. So tell me about the place where you did your internship and now where you, where you work at, what is the area of focus that they uh, work with um, for musical therapy? Because you said there are a lot of different ranges of mm-hmm. where it could be hospice or all these other things. What's, what seems to be the, what's the area of focus that uh, where you work? Yeah. So I work at a private practice um, that is based out of Indiana. I currently am in the Indianapolis Fishers. Fishers is one of the suburbs of Indianapolis. Um, Most of the work I do, about 90%, is on the Medicaid waiver for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And then I do a tiny bit. I have one session a week where I get to do memory care um, at a local um, nursing home in their memory care unit. Um, So majority of the work I do is supporting people with autism, Down syndrome, the uh, cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury, and then kind of the catch-all term of intellectual disability. Um, And so that's where most of my work and really what my passion in music therapy is, is working with those with developmental disabilities. I I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through maybe uh, an approach that you have. Like, so you have a client and maybe tell us about maybe in that description, like what was like one of your earliest um, kind of moments of success where you broke through with one of your patients? Sure. Um, i trying to think of an exact situation that I could give. Um, I, cool. I think I got one. I, so, um, so supporting people, everyone has their own individualized goals. And I think something really important with music therapy is my job here is not to make somebody the next Broadway star. I am not teaching somebody how to be a perfect pianist. I am not a perfect pianist. I should not be teaching somebody to be a perfect pianist, but I am using music to be able to help them on their individualized goals. So one of those could be a social skill. And that social skill, I have a few people that work on answering who, what, where, when, why. And so I have a complete intervention that we go over what each of those mean musically. So you're able to remember it. Who is the people we talk to? What is the things we do? Where is the places we go? And then we could practice those within the session of, okay, so where do we take our dog when they're sick? We take them to the vet, but then having several options in front of them that could be what all different options that would answer the other WH questions. Um, So using a musical song 
to make it that you can remember what each question means. And I have noticed through that, they're answering the questions correctly. They're answering which question is being asked, but then that can be then generalized. Um, that can then be generalized into their everyday life of what do you want to eat? It's a lot easier for them to then answer that question because they have a better understanding of what that first word is. Um, and so that overall helps them be more independent when they get into society, when they get into everyday living situations outside of the clinical, the clinical room. When you begin to assess uh, the various patients that come in, do you, do, you, do you see that there are certain forms of music that do you expose them to a various different forms? Like, so this person might be piano, this person might be more voice, this person might be more violin, or like, how do you, like, how do you kind of give a sampling to see which one seems to be the one that they, there's most, uh, they're more responsive to? How does, how does that process work? If, if that is even something that happens? Mm-hmm. So through the intake process, I try to figure out as much as I can about this person. What are their interests? What do they enjoy? What do they, what are they motivated by? And I try to use that as much as I can within the session. And so if somebody really loves Taylor Swift, I will come in and have 10 Taylor Swift songs ready to go to then be able to use that to work on these different goals. Um, I have somebody that I support who really is motivated by learning how to play the piano. And one of her goals is coping skills. (laughs) Learning the piano is a hard thing to do and can become frustrating and can become hard. And although I never want to make it that she is upset with me in the session, she also has the opportunity to know that, hey, I need to stop. Can we take a break and come back? And being able to learn those coping skills that then she can use when she gets to her job or when she's at home and she's annoyed. Um, And so I try to use as much of what their preferred music and what their preferred motivation is. Um, Personally, how I look at music therapy and how I just look at therapy in general is if you're not enjoying what you're doing, if you're not, if you don't like what you are doing in the session, you're not motivated to come. It doesn't matter how much um, I set up the music to be beneficial. It doesn't matter how much I use music theory to make it so that you might answer a certain question. If you don't want to be here, if you're not having fun or you're not motivated by what's happening, it doesn't matter because it'll be a lot harder to generalize it out in the community because you're only thinking about it one hour a week when you're here. But if somebody really loves superheroes and I make a superhero um, thing that then they're excited about and when they're out in the community can be reminded, hey, what does Alyssa have in that song again? Oh, yeah. And it then can be easier for them to answer it out and generalize it. It's going to make it so that everything that we're doing in the session will be a lot easier out in the community. 
It, it, you, you answered one of the questions that I was, was going to, which is perfect. I was going to ask, like, how long is a, a typical session you know, that you have said? It's about an hour, once a week. Um, do, you, do you have a set list of, of clients? Uh, and and do, do clients ultimately, do you get them to a place where they can kind of exit the therapy? Or what's the recidivism of, of, the, uh, of the, your clients that you have? So for my specific sector of music therapy, I, ha- I see the same people every week on the same days, and that's like their time. Um, there are, in a hospital, you may not see the same person every single week. But for me personally, I do see the same amount, same people every week for anywhere from a half hour to an hour and a half. Um, most people fitting in about that one hour time slot. Um, and so I'm trying to think of where the second half of that was. Oh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I, no, I think you pretty much answered that. I okay. think it was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. Um, oh, what was I going to oh, uh, ask? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, one of the things in college that forever, my professor said it often, but I think I always heard it in my head more than she said it, was the goal of my job is to be unemployed. <laughs> my mm. goal is to have people be as independent as possible and work myself out of a job. Now with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, they might have something all their life that they're working on, but I want to be moving them out of the goals that they currently have. I don't, I prefer like, if we're working on the same goal for five years, we're only progressing so much, but if we can work through and create new goals every year, when that time comes, then in the long run, yeah, I'm working myself out of a job. And that gives an opportunity for somebody else to receive music therapy. So it is something that is the ultimate goal. Not everyone will, quote unquote, graduate from music therapy, but their goals are going to change over the years. Their goals are going to look completely different from when they first started music therapy. It, 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 that's just that's such a neat way of looking at it because it, it is it's it's honest but it is very progressive in terms of like seeing those kind of attainable goals bit by bit. You know. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a surprise as a, as an English teacher that I would ask you a question about what is your favorite metaphor to maybe explain the relationship between music and the mind? A metaphor. Yeah, like, like you see, like when, like the way you like the way you see, like I would say, like obviously, like the the one that I'm thinking about, like how music would unlock certain things. But I was wondering how, like, when you is there a is there a metaphor that kind of guides your approach to uh, your clients when you are, are working with them? The one you just gave is one that people use all the time, especially in more memory work. Um, those who work with older adults and memory is being able to use music to unlock um, different sections of the brain. Um, for me, how I look at that within my everyday clinical practice is, I guess, music is the connector to the brain. Um, Music has the ability, music is not just one part of the brain, right? We could talk about left side of the brain and right side of the brain, and my career definitely hits both sides. But music has the ability to connect all different aspects of the brain together. And so we can then touch different parts through music, and music can connect each section of the brain um, together to work together. 
in your career, like, are there are there professional organizations that kind of like where you have like um, kind of either publications or ways in which you kind of help communicate your findings? How, what are some of the kind of groups or conferences that you go to? And, and is there like a particular research that you continue with uh, what you do? So I actually went to conference this past weekend. So that was great timing. Um, so there is one overarching organization, and that's the American Music Therapy Association. Um, and that is kind of our umbrella organization where they have conference and all these different presenters and research posters. We then have, although there is research in a lot of different magazines or a lot of different journals and throughout the world, I have looked at New Zealand's Music Therapy Journal before, but the two big ones within um, the United States is the Journal of Music Therapy and Music Therapy Perspectives, um, because everything we do is um, research-based. We're not just coming in, playing music and hoping it works. There's some form of research backing up what we are doing um, to show that music has this ability to do this. And so, AMTA is able to kind of house all that information. And then each region of the United States has their own smaller one. So I'm a member of the Great Lakes region um, and then state by state have their own. But the big one that all of them are underneath would be the American Music Therapy Association. Is, is there a, um, a, a particular window within your field that is like, oh, I want to pursue that like a little bit more. Like, so for teachers, it might be like, I'm really into media literacy or digital literacy or something like, like is there a, a branch within your field that is becoming a little bit more new that like there, you have a, a curiosity to maybe uh, poke your interest into with that? There are a handful and there are like a lot of secondary trainings I could get added, I could add on. Um, there is GIM, which is uh, guided imagery and using music and imagery to work through emotions. Uh, NICU Music Therapy does have their own certification as well. And then there is neurological music therapy. Um, so specifically looking at the brain and music and tempo and kind of the different components of music and how that impacts how we interact with music. Um, so there's a handful of different ones. The one I have personally have most interest in is neurological music therapy. Um, I think it's also just looking at the different options, the one that I would probably use the most within my current everyday practice. Um, but there are other trainings out there. One of my college professors at OU he did, it was, I wish I could remember the exact name, but it was like sand art imagery with music. And he was kind of creating his own category in sense, um, which was really cool. And he actually let us through like our practicum classes, like see what he does and be able to understand it. And then why did we make the sand and the rocks and all of that? Why did we make them the way we made them? Um, it could tell a lot about a person. And so there are um, secondary trainings that I could get. Um, I just haven't, with COVID and being a professional for less than two years, haven't fully taken the opportunity into those yet, but it is something I'm looking into. 
that must be really neat to get. I think that's called, is it synesthesia where you kind of, you have the senses kind of flipped around, but then the mediums that, that professor, the work with the sand sounds like it would be really interesting to see how all those things kind of can be interpreted once they're all kind of fused together. And so you've been, you've been studying this for a few years now. And you you said that you've been doing for, and you've been uh, actually working at this for two years. Have there been any kind of new interesting technologies that have kind of made your job a little bit easier in terms of being able to monitor or kind of anticipate um, the kind of feedback that you need to do your job better? Um, I don't know specifically on technologies that I have used, but majority of my early, early on practicing was through telehealth. I did all of my music therapy for six, seven months, every single session from my apartment. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure my neighbors loved me Um, (laughs) being the music therapist with a very loud voice. (laughs) I am known for it. Um, Then getting a dog, only one with a dog in the apartment complex. Sure, my neighbors loved me. But um, having to do music therapy through a computer screen was a very interesting situation. I did personally not throw goals out the door, but we all had different needs in March 2020, April 2020. We all had different needs, right? Let's address what we need right now through music, and then we can bring our goals back in. And so there definitely were some hurdles but learning the different settings on Zoom that could make it as accessible as possible, being able to explore the different uh, resources on the internet and uh, made me really think when is live music most beneficial and when is recorded music most beneficial, I think really was something that I had to think about early on when we were doing telehealth. Um, well, that's and interesting. So, I never would have thought about it that way. You're, you're right. Like the actual, um, how there might be a difference between what is recorded versus the, you know, the, the energy, you know, of something that's happening right in front of you as a, a live. I didn't even think about that as a possibility. That's yeah. interesting. Oh yeah. I had, and there were people who just said, I don't think telehealth's going to work or tell, we tried it and we just didn't think it was the most beneficial for them. Um, and so we just paused until they were able to come back in office and we tried to be to make sure they were the first ones coming back as they had a pause of services altogether. Um, but yeah, the sensory aspect of music overall, music is just one huge sensory and that also can make music. I try to remind people as a music therapist that yes, music is so beneficial to people. Music can also be harmful. Um, singing a song that, triggers a negative response. Yeah. The relationship right there could go right out the door. The sensory input that somebody is having, if it is causing harm and it is causing pain for them, you're you're not helping in any way. You're making music this negative experience, not just music therapy, but music in general, this negative experience. And the whole point is to try to be pushing them to more independence. And that could be a hindrance to that. Um, But I also have people I support that, will they listen to recorded music when I use it? Sure. Would they much rather me on the guitar with a pick strumming full out? Absolutely. Um, And others who 
They don't want to hear my, although they love hearing me sing hello and goodbye and they love hearing my voice. I'm not Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm not Jimmy Buffett. I cannot play every single part of a band. And so what are they looking for? And then also being able to use my body as most beneficial. It's, there's only so much I could do behind a guitar. But also there are times when the guitar is what's motivating. And so finding that balancing act, plus through a virtual medium, the delay and how much input can the computer really pick up from a live music experience. How many instruments do you have to have? You know, maybe not you have to be a, a virtuoso with all these instruments, but where, where, how many instru- instruments would you say that you are fairly competent? Like, so you said guitar, perhaps piano. Is there anything else? Um, so actually to be able to graduate from OU, every school does this differently, but for OU, it was specifically, I had to be proficient in piano, guitar, and voice, which I went to college as a vocal major. So voice was, it's a very big part of my practice, but also kind of comes second nature to me as my voice has always been what I was most confident in, um, And so those are the big three that music therapists use. Ukulele is starting to get thrown in as a fourth, um, being able to be proficient on ukulele to some extent. Um, But how many hand percussions and being able to just grab a djembe drum and put out a drum pattern and make that into something. Any handheld instrument at this point, I could just pick like, I could pick up and go, but the big three would be voice, piano, and guitar. When you were mentioning the, when you're working with your clients and that like sometimes you may have to work with them for memory, or maybe sometimes it's like social, emotional trauma and all that. I was wondering, you know, in that incredible range of, in that that bandwidth of the type of uh, patients that you work with, is there one where it requires just maybe more, like, I'm sure they all have their own kind of puzzle to kind of figure out, but is there one where it, it just takes a little bit more to figure out the, the right approach than others in, in terms of giving them the right, um, uh, the right type of uh, therapy? Absolutely. I would say, especially because I try to do everything as individualized as possible, every person has their thing. I would say personally for me, it is those who communicate via sign or communicate via gesture and movement um, because it is harder for them to have the ability to express to me what they're thinking and to express to me what is going on. And so I have to be able to then read the body language, which everyone's body language can be different, especially for somebody with a disability who maybe they're seeking sensory or they're in sensory overload. Those can present very differently, but also could present very similarly depending on the person. Um, And so it's often those that I am not, I am giving them choices, but it is much more like pick A or B versus walking into a session and going, what do you want to sing today? You want some choices and me being able to pull up four songs and saying which one looks good or which singer do you want? And being able to narrow it down that way. So it's those who there is a communication barrier of some type, just because 
the whole idea is being able to advocate for yourself. And I make it really important in my practice that the people I support can advocate for themselves in some capacity. If they don't understand how a, like a new intervention or a new song that I'm presenting, them being able to go like stop me before it starts or for them to be able to pick as much music as they want in the session for them to make their own schedule. Um, and so for me personally, it's definitely those with, um, where there's a communication barrier of some type. It seems like such an incredible soft skill to have developed. Was that something that came through your um, your training at, at, at the university, or is that just something that you kind of intuited as you began your work? Because I can imagine, like, you know, how frustrating that must be initially to work with a client and say, I'm not getting anywhere. Uh, d- does the intake and some of the assessments that you get kind of give you some you know, tells to kind of help you with a client like that? Or is how much, and and also, is this also just something that through your experience in doing this, you just kind of know what to look for that you kind of have become seasoned uh, in that capacity to, to see those things? Bits of both. I definitely was somewhat prepped through university, especially because I did six semesters of practicum, which is where I would do one session a week out in the community um, with my fellow students. And we would be supervised by a grad student or a music therapist or a professor. And so often they had a lot of the skills that then they could go, did you notice this? Did you notice this person doing this thing? What do you think was happening? And being able to learn it that way. Same thing when you came into internship to when now I'm doing who knows how many sessions a week, um, doing music therapy sessions four days a week being able to see how that happens, but then also being a, I do get intake information where somebody starts music therapy. I get to speak with their family, their guardian of some capacity before I walk in and know what goals are you looking for? What are you looking for from this? Obviously, like I have professional expertise and I'm able to assess this, but if what I'm assessing as the highest need is not beneficial to them outside of music therapy in this moment. It might be beneficial in two years, but right now it's not something, it's not the highest priority for their independence. Um, I'm able to get a lot of that information from parents and being able to say, yeah, she really loves this and that, but she gets very overstimulated easily or she gets very frustrated easily and or she loves it to the point where She just wants as much sensory as possible and she's willing to take in as much sensory as she can in the room. I'm able to get that information from the parents while also having my own personal expertise in the moment to go, oh, this is what's happening. Let's change it and see what happens. Let's just end this now and pick something new to do if that's where it needs to go. Let's change my strumming pattern. Let's see if it's a sense, if it's, They want finger picking would be more beneficial right now versus a full, full strumming. Um, And so it's bits of both. A lot of it comes down to the therapeutic relationship of them trusting me and me trusting them and them knowing that I am watching out for their well-being in the process. This seems like such a incredibly beneficial field for really society where there's just so many... um, wonderful things that are happening for the people who need it. 
do you see yourself, you, you had mentioned that there's only 70 plus programs uh, in the United States. Do you see yourself maybe coming back to be uh, uh, an instructor or a professor of some sorts in the future with uh, this field to kind of help it expand and maybe teach other young minds that want to uh, kind of use this or begin a career in musical therapy? I, it definitely has crossed my mind. I will say programs have been popping up over the past five years or so. Um, and so it's definitely a growing profession. I do think that when I was in high school saying I wanted to do music therapy, no one knew what that meant. And if they did, it was not, it does not match the at like the full definition, although the science, like the head, their whole thought process makes complete sense, but doesn't represent the whole profession. Um, the further I've gotten into this profession, the more people understand it the more somebody could say, oh yeah, my grandfather had a music therapist. Oh yeah, my mom, when she, uh, after surgery, a music therapist came in um, to help her with calming, being able to calm down and with some pain management when she was in the hospital. So it's definitely popping up more and more. I already kind of within my profession have started to see what I could do to advance this. I've done some work with the Indianapolis or the Indiana State um, Task Force. We, I went and lobbied to try to get our state licensure um, so that it is a more people, by having my title, not everyone could say they're a music therapist, but because there's sometimes these false out, like false understandings of music therapy, they don't realize that there is an actual title for this. And so that we know that everyone who says they're receiving music therapy is getting music therapy from somebody who has been trained. Um, I also just a few weeks ago started working with practicum students in college and hope to soon at some point start working with interns. So then maybe one day at some point working as a clinical supervisor or um, working as a professor of some capacity um, it's definitely something I've looked into and I truly have a passion for knowing and for helping students to be able to advance their career so that there are more music therapists out there. That's just so neat. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of a, a big question. I don't you know, kind of, I, I, you've, I know you've probably thought about this um, more than anyone else, but why do you think, why, what is it about music that is, makes us so uniquely human or how does music make us so human? Cause I mean, you, you're, you're in this every day and seeing as, you know, to kind of go back to the metaphor, how it unlocks people. What is it about that music that helps define our humanity? So we have connected music to a lot in our society. I will not say everyone has a relationship to music. I would say all majority, if not almost everyone has a relationship to music of some capacity Um, And music has the ability to create an emotional connection to us. The fact that I could tell you that songs that I personally have a connection to and that I will forever hold dear to me, um, and I am 25. And I know that there are going to be songs all throughout my lifetime, through all stages of life that are going to impact me of some capacity. I could also tell you the song. I've been pulled over by the cops once for speeding. I could, can't tell you what song it was. If I heard it on the radio, I would change the station because I have an emotional response to it. 
music has an ability to hit an emotional response, but yet is so mathematical. Western music, you can learn all this music theory and say that there are only this many notes in the scale. And this is the structure that people want to hear. And then you can manipulate that. People would say play, this would be musical terms, one, four, five, one, and maybe put on a five, seven. And that would make people want to want to get back to that home base of what feels comfortable in the song. But then you can use that and create millions and millions of different sounds that we all can then have a connection to by looking at lyrics on top of physical chord structure on top of instrumentation. Each one of those can give you a different response. Major versus minor can give you a different emotional response, but yet there is always this security because music has, Western music specifically, has this kind of mathematical formula around it that we then can, it's a formula that never has an answer, I guess is how I would put it. There's this formula, this thing that I was taught in college on this is what music is. But here's a thousand different responses to it. So uh, Alyssa, I, I could I could talk to you for another hour. This stuff is just so fascinating. But I like to end the interview uh, to, uh, to ask the guest if you could share with us uh, any tips for success for current Wildcats. Okay. <laughs> um, I think any teacher who remembers me from high school will not be shocked by my response. And that is to please be involved in your school. I'm not saying that means you have to join a student organization, although I personally highly encourage it. Um, West Chicago and the teachers and the administration there truly are going to push you to set you up for success. And I learned just as much in the classroom as I learned outside the classroom whether that was in student council or on my, uh, I was a golfer for four years. I was in theater for four years. I was in choir. I was captain of speech team. I'm not saying be involved in eight different things. I, that is not the, what I'm telling you to do. But each of those different things taught me skills that when I got to college and when I got into my field, I didn't realize that that's how I learned them. I didn't realize that that not every student, not every student had these skills and the teachers and all the organizations and everyone at West Chicago truly wants to push you to the most success possible. And that sometimes means going through things that you think you probably shouldn't have to go through as a high school, or maybe that's your learning professionalism when others may not be around you. I've been... I could tell you examples just from high school where I was sitting in an auditorium in West Chicago was known for being the most professional people there. We were known for it to the point where everyone knew they couldn't even try to like make us be unprofessional because that was what we were taught. And then you go to college and you have the skill set. And I'm again, it doesn't have to be a student org, but get to know your teachers, get to know your administration, make those connections because they all have your best interest at heart. I had experiences because of West Chicago, going and leaving West Chicago, that I never realized not everyone had. 
And um, especially because once you go to college, I think the arts hear this a little bit more. You could have been the best musician. You could have been the best mathematician. You could have been the best scientist in your high school. You're now going to go major in that, and you are in a room of all of those. But you're going to have the skill set that your teachers pushed you extra for that others may not have because you took the opportunities that the school gave you. I'm very passionate about this, as you can see. Yeah, that that was about as perfect of a love letter to West Chicago as I could have asked for. That was incredible. Uh, Lissa, thank you so much for sharing this really incredible work that you do that's just, you know, making the world uh, so much better. And uh, I, I, we couldn't be any more proud of, of what you've accomplished already and where you're going with this. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as I just gave that full love letter to West Chicago, I put a lot... I'm very proud to be an alumni and um, to see all that the high school has done since I've graduated, see how the underclassmen from when I was there have um, been excelling and just seeing how much work is being done within that school. Um, I know it's sometimes for the high schoolers, it's hard to see that in the moment, but I promise you, you are in great hands. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at at We Go Places.